Welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast uh, brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one basketball training facility. If you want to raise your game, visit the team at hoopcity.com.au to find your nearest location. Mark Worthington, hello. Hello, Christopher Anstey. Uh, we've got a long list. We, we haven't uh, recorded an episode for a while and there's a lot happened. Let's start with recent local stories. Mike Kelly to the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Go. Yeah, well, Mike had the three years up in Cairns, won a coach of the year, got fired um, a year after that, found his way to Perth as a, an associate head coach with Scott Morrison and, uh, and uh, John Rilly. And uh, I guess he had a feeling uh, that he still wanted to be a head coach. I'm sure many, many coaches have gone through that. Uh, what does it mean for the Phoenix? Well, he... First things first, my biggest takeaway from this, I'm not sure um, you've been on the huddle with Liam Santa Maria before and I was listening to it yesterday. And the most interesting thing that came out of that was that Tommy Greer and Eric Hollingsworth were the ones interviewing and making the decision. So my question to you is, when has a strength and conditioning coach ever been part of a process to hire a head coach? Never, to, to my knowledge, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting one. My opinion on this podcast earlier on was that, in my opinion, the strength and conditioning element of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix is as much to blame as the coaching. So I certainly don't think that's a strength of their program. I think it's an area that needs addressing and it can never be the most important voice. There needs to be independence. Um, you know, it's for context, though. Eric's background, high performance, correct? Spot on. Um, I just found it interesting, and uh, you and I are both in the same boat of thinking what the greatest weakness of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix has been over the last couple of years, and uh, it has been those soft tissue injuries that could possibly be avoidable. It's hard for any coach to win without his team available to him. Yep. But what does Mike Kelly bring? It's a different, it's a contrast of styles compared to what Simon brought because Mike is a very calm person on the sidelines where Simon was very intense. Um, funnily enough, you know, those two are mates, Simon and Mike, and spent time together at Melbourne United as assistants uh, together. I've uh, gone their separate ways and then it's sort of, they both find them as well. Simon's no longer there, but now Mike taking Simon's job. Um, I think defensively is what the Phoenix put out there that they wanted a defensive-minded coach. Uh, I'm not sure what Mike has shown defensively as a coach yet. I When I think of Mike Kelly's teams, I think of Machado, Cam Oliver, uh, DJ Newbel, that offensive group 
Uh, DJ Newville was a very good defensive individual player, um, but I think more of an offensive style of game again, and I don't get the defensive vibes. One thing Mike's been around the last three years that he hadn't been when he had his time in Kansas, the Australian Boomers program. So you can only assume that that he would have picked up a bunch of strategy from there, but even flip it to the recent history of the Perth Wildcats, John really went away from being a defensive team and said, hey, we can't do this, we're going to score. So it's an interesting hire. Um, I love the connection back to the Southeast Melbourne Magic. I think that's great. Uh, strong rumour that Sam McKinnon coming down to be one of his assistant coaches, which would tie uh, back to the southeast Melbourne element of the club again. So, uh, no, they needed somebody in place. They needed someone to help with their recruiting. Uh, let's see how they go. Um, we haven't got this one on the run sheet, but um, now that it's public, we got told, what, three weeks ago that Luke Travers was going to Melbourne United. There's a lot of rumours. Done deal, Travers to United. Is that what you're still hearing? Everybody thinks he might go to Sydney or other clubs? Well, it's a done deal. And the only other thing that I could think of is if it's not a done deal, then then Mike Kelly might have a, a chance at doing it because him and Mike have a really good relationship. Uh, Mike worked on his shooting uh, this past year and that, there's a good relationship there that being said I still think it's going to be Melbourne United I think that Luke needed to get out of Perth I think he needed a new opportunity and I think playing under Dean Vickerman he'll be held accountable uh, and and try and get that um, his roller coaster sort of lineage as a game he might have a good game but then he needs to add that level game. of and, and United and, need a foreman they need a local foreman um, and, 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 you, and the other thing that's you would always say this, and I know Gorgian would always say this, is what are you going to bring to us on your worst night? Now, I truly believe that Luke Travers on his worst night, say he's not shooting well, should still be an eight rebound. I agree. Four or five assists, you know, maybe one block sort of guy, which can still impact a game. But His shooting has to be the bonus. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know what he's got... I, the word is, is there's one element that, or one name, uh, Jack White. He saw what Jack White did at United. He saw the opportunity he was afforded. He wants that. Um, before we get off the NBL, um, someone that United have announced that they've signed is Flynn Cameron. I love it. I, I loved him as a junior. I love what he's been able to do. I love his toughness. United needed to go and get younger. So with Flynn Cameron and Luke Travers, when that is announced, and let's stay with if it's announced, um, they've gotten younger very, very quickly and in a very talented way. Uh, Flynn Cameron is another one that, holy shit, Mark, you're old, because uh, I remember Flynn as a young kid at the Gold Coast Blaze. Uh, obviously, his dad, Perry, was our assistant coach, and young Flynn, oh, how, how old would he have been? He would have been, <laughs> he would have been a single-digit baby back then. Um, and to see him now, obviously growing up, seeing what he's been able to do, uh, I think it's a really smart um, get by Melbourne United. And I think that Flynn will be someone uh, that will thrive under Dean Vickerman as well. And with Shaylee alongside him. Flynn's been New Zealand's best 
international player through the juniors for years now. He's tough. I really, really like him and can't wait to see what he does as insurance at the moment to Shaili, but they got themselves a ripper. A um, little bit of an NBL flavor. Drell Brantley went across to Utah and signed his first 10 day. He's 15 minutes a game, five points a game. He's doing really well. Yes, but that, that has come to an end and they didn't offer him a second 10-day. It was a... This is a problem with recording a podcast two days after we do the run sheet. Yeah, I know. Um, it, but he but, did really well. But he did really well. I think that opens up opportunities for him elsewhere come next season. It um, sure does. He It was a good fit for him, a place that he'd been previously. He got welcomed back. People were excited to have him back in Utah. Um but he took the most of his opportunities when he was out there as well. Um, he he got thrown in there. It's, it's a little bit different. Like people will compare him and Xavier, like that Jarrell thrived a little bit more. Well, he, he got a lot more opportunity than Xavier. Xavier's finding his feet. He's going to be there for the long haul. Well, Xavier's not there. They don't yeah. need to evaluate him in a week. They've got their time. Correct, correct. And so... I think there's some unfair comparisons out there of, of the two uh, because, you know, one's had opportunity and Xavier has had limited opportunity, but hopefully in this last week of the NBA, we get to see him have more of an opportunity and see more of what he can do on an NBA court. But congratulations speaking to Xavier for scoring his first points. Absolutely. Hey, now, speaking of limited opportunity, Jack White, he has been on an absolute tear in the G League and... I've answered a bunch of questions on Twitter and, and other various platforms as, you know, he must be playing well enough to get his NBA roster spot back. Now, look, yes, he's playing great, but in much the same way, I tend to feel that Jack White's a long-term prospect in Denver and this off-season will be incredibly important for him. The Nuggets make absolutely no mistake about it. They want to win a championship this year. They've locked into their into their playoff rotation they're comfortable with who they've got. Unfortunately for Jack, as well as he's playing right now, I think the only way back onto that roster for him from here on in is an injury. I think he's going to continue to play great in the G League. Uh, they know exactly what he can do. He needs an off-season with the team. And, uh, again, it's a long-term like Xavier uh, with Jack White and the Denver Nuggets. I agree. Uh, and he can only control the controllables right now, and he's doing that. He's putting himself in a good position going forward for next season. Like you said, it's a little bit different when you're in a two-way position on a championship contending team. Uh, the opportunities are going to be uh, are not always going to be there for Jack, but the best thing he can do is continue to dominate at a G League level, which is a good... It's good for any young player, and I say this to a lot of the NBL guys that come back to NBL 1, don't think because you're an NBL player that you deserve to dominate an NBL 1 um, league. You need to come back and actually show people that you dominate and that you belong in the NBL. Well, how, how often place. do you see NBL guys go and girls go down to NBL 1 and cruise? You know, we're just going to win tonight and you've got people watching thinking, ah, I just haven't seen that toughness. I haven't seen that consistency. I haven't seen them defend the imports that they bring out and lock them down. It's what because, yeah, like Jack, a player can go to the NBL 1 
and score their 25 a game and have their eight or nine rebounds. That's not their role in an NBL team. They've got to be able to defend. They've got to be able to rebound out of their position. They've got to be able to compete. It's as much about the way they conduct themselves. And this is the best part about what Jack's done. Not once would you even imagine that he's dropped his head or sooked. You see that a lot. And you see that in the NBL one with NBL guys. You know, they're doing it to make their few extra dollars in the offseason. They need to use it to get better and to prove what they can do when it matters. And and you get a little bit more leeway at the level below. Like, yes, you, you're you not playing a similar role than what you would play at it. Yeah, experiment on your game you can, on the offensive can, end, of course. Correct. But at the other and, end. Correct. So experiment on the offensive end. But make a point on the defensive end that you you play at a different level to what your opposition does and, and make it hard, whether it's a catch or a contest at the rim or, or whatever it may be. Um, and like you said, Jack White hasn't dropped his head once. He's continued to control the controllables and he has been on an unbelievable tear in uh, the G League. Now, someone else who's been on not quite an unbelievable tear, but he's had a really, really good season. Uh, and someone you're close to through Daniel Molderman, who, again, how good was it having him on the podcast and speaking to him? That's gone absolutely nuts, That the interview and the chat we had with him. But uh, one of his young players, Mojave King, who we know here in the NBL from his time in Cairns and Adelaide and struggled, uh, Daniel Molderman got him over to the G League um, put him in a situation that he thought was more likely to create success for Mojave, and it seems to have. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, the comparison that I have is some kids leave high school and they go to college and some are successful and some aren't. College isn't for everyone. Uh, Mojave came and went straight into uh, the NBL uh, and he was met with two coaches that didn't trust him, essentially. Sure. Uh, Mike Mike Kelly didn't have much trust or faith in him up in Cairns and then Connor Henry didn't have much trust or faith in him in Adelaide. And and what I will say, and I will interject, and, you know, we don't sit on the fence here that, there were reasons for that in their minds as well. So Mojave was young Mm -hmm. and there were days that he wasn't as good. He was inconsistent. And those two coaches wanted consistency. I don't think anyone ever doubted his ability. No. But they challenged him on his consistency. He's matured. Correct. What going to the G League afforded him, especially the Ignite team, was an opportunity to play through mistakes, was an opportunity to to find a rhythm because the hardest thing, uh, and you wouldn't understand this because you've never come off the bench for any team. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I came off the bench my rookie year for the Tigers, my first year at the Magic, my second year at the Magic, all three years in the NBA and one and a half years in Russia. Get oh, stuffed. There was only a little bit of bait on that one as well. And <laughs> Jesus Christ. I you know what? It's there. amazing. But- I get this all the time. Seriously. Oh, you don't know. I've always been an advocate. I couldn't care less where I start the game. It's but I'm going to finish it. Yeah. I, Who I cares what happens in the first four minutes of it? There are so many egos in basketball. Correct. I couldn't Correct. care less. You know what? In fact, one more. One of my 
let's talk about me for a minute, I guess. Jeez. Um, one of my most probably embarrassing awards I've ever won, I won Sixth Man of the Year in the NBL. Yep. The year I came back from the NBA. I didn't, because Gorge and the Titans already had their team established. I didn't want to come and take a starter spot. I'm happy to come off the bench behind Brett Wheeler. That's fine. I'll just go and win six man of the year and try to help us win a championship. We didn't. Had a bunch of injuries, but who cares? No one remembers where you start a game. No. I I agree with you. And like I said, I was Anyway, just get a back to your story. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my point is when he was in Cairns and when he was in Adelaide, he had such a short hook. So he'd yeah. come on. I felt like he'd he'd miss one corner three or make a mistake and then he'd get yanked again for the rest of the half. And there's hard to get consistency in your playing when you when you feel like the onus is to get that first stop, to feel like you've got to make that first shot. Otherwise, you're going to get yanked. And uh, for two years, we saw that. He doesn't have that with uh, the Ignite. Will he get drafted? Has he played himself into a late second round draft pick? I think he's got consideration for a uh, late second round. Um, I wonder, though, does the NBL stint hurt him now? Because when you get to the end of that process of a second round, the, the vetting and you go back and you, you see what he's done previously and they're going to go back and look at the NBL stuff as well. Or does, it help, or does it help him where he's shown that he can improve and he can take information on board and he can develop? Depending on the team, I guess, at the end of the day. So has he played himself into a late second round? Yes, he has. Um, but will he get picked up? Who knows? Well, speaking of the draft... Mm-hmm. This, of all seasons, I thought there'd be more teams obviously tanking early. Portland Trailblazers have joined the tank race. Um, they sat Damian Lillard and they've, they've lost by 40 and they're getting blown out each game now. So they've quit on the year. Um, the Western Conference is still fascinating. Dallas are a game out. Utah are a game and a half out. Oh, OKC still hold a playing position, which to me remains incredible. But, you know, Utah in 12th place, 12th place are only four and a half games behind fifth. Granted, there are only six games to go, but I want to look at OKC and I want to look at Dallas. OKC have so many flaws in their skill sets. They're not a great jump shooting team. They don't have a knockdown shooter. They don't have a big, strong center. They don't have that. Well, actually, let's call Shane an incredible athlete. But they don't have that big brute enforcer. Yet here they are in 10th place when people thought they might be one of the first or one of the worst five teams in the league. A game ahead of the Dallas Mavericks who traded for Kyrie Irving, and we've talked about this previously. They're, they're really, really struggling. So, so my question to you without dragging up the whole Kyrie trade thing again, is it in Dallas's best interests? to in fact tank with two all-stars knowing they could lose Kyrie but putting themselves in a position to retain their top 10 protected pick but also have a 
have a fluky chance to pick up Victor or Scoot or a high-level draft pick? Did you catch 22 with Dallas because you did give away assets to get Kyrie? So do you quit on that so quickly and just succumb that you may lose him uh, come free agency or sign and trade or whatever um, because of the parts that are around those two. Like, they are still two all-stars at the end of the day, both of them. If I was Dallas, you're, you're in a bit of a shit situation. They've, they've lost the season split versus OKC. So, so they're really they, two games out. So they're really two games out at the end of the day. Um, and and selfishly, I really want to see OKC in the play. play and, and mind you, so just looking now, Dallas have five games remaining. Mm-hmm. OKC have five games remaining. The New Orleans Pelicans are an extra half game ahead, as well as the Lakers. Both have six games remaining. So almost for Dallas to get in, they're more likely mathematically to catch the Pelicans or the Lakers. Yeah. But they need to go on a tear. They, they need to win four of their last five at a minimum to be a chance, and which is incredible. Off, off what we've seen, Dallas isn't winning that many games because there's no consistency in what Dallas is doing. Uh, OKC, uh, I think if we've seen nothing else from OKC, we've seen them compete night in and night out. Like you said, they do have glaring holes in what they have skill set wise, yet they compete. Um, and you know what? If you're OKC, you're, you're playing to get into the play in because it is building a better foundation for the future with Chet Holgram still to come into this lineup. Um, all the, the draft picks that they've got stashed up, they, they could potentially make one move to turn this whole franchise around, but doing it in a winning environment straight off the bat, which is incredible to think about when this time last year, well, at the start of this season, we are going, maybe they get Wemby and Chip. Like, that that was the talk at the start it, of the season. It, and it, now, but, but, but you know what? In, in my heart of hearts, I always thought if there's one team who doesn't need Chip, unless it's, sorry, that needs Wemby, it's that they've got theirs. Yep. They don't need him. They would much rather, and they don't really need Scoot. They've got that. Mm-hmm. So of all teams, that clearly you can trade your draft pick and you would get something incredible in return, but they've got that covered. Yeah. They've just been so much fun to watch and I can't see, I can't wait to see what they add this offseason. Correct. Um, just on the Mavericks for one more second, Josh Green, <clears throat> since no surprise, or no surprise, the drop in fortune of the Mavericks has coincided with Josh Green playing less and less time, having less and less impact. Um, ironically, as one of their best defenders, he's found less time on the floor um, with Kyrie and Luca. Um, your thoughts on Josh Green and how his season has gone from being incredible to probably a little bit more mediocre this last month, but still performing really well. What this has taught me that is Jason Kidd is not an NBA coach. Plain and simple. Like, if, you're, if your deficiencies are on the defensive end, why aren't you playing Josh Green? 
Like, <laughs> right. It, it's it's yeah. well. It, there are so many moving pieces. I was I have been fascinated to hear some of Jason Kidd's post game comments. And on top of everything else, recently you hear Lucas say that he's not enjoying being there. Correct. A, a lot of that stems from the top. A hundred percent. Jason Kidd didn't work at where was it Milwaukee? He didn't work at uh, was Brooklyn. it Brooklyn? And he's not working at Dallas. <laughs> well, he did take them to the Western Conference Finals last year. No, Luca took him to the Western Conference Finals with the way that he played. Like Luca, Luca went to a level of play where one on one he was the hardest person to probably guard in the NBA. Um, Luca has developed a. Um, an overpowering game that a lot of people probably wish LeBron had developed a lot earlier down in the post being the size that he is for a point guard, but then be able to still shoot the way that he did. The, if you watch what the Mavericks were doing, it was they were outscoring opposition teams. And mainly, Luca was doing whatever Luca needed to do for that team to do. There was no system or structure in place where you go, wow, that was a really good Spurs basketball win or that was a really good um, Milwaukee like team win. It was like, geez, Luca's bloody unbelievable right now. And and so I don't put that on Jason Kidd at the end of the day. So we're not going to have Josh Green in the NBA playoffs potentially, but we'll have plenty of Aussies. I'm, you know I do this power ranking uh, yep. of Aussies in the NBA, and it's, it's 11 been, now. It's 11 there are 11 now. now. It's, it's fantastic. And I'll tell you what, it's been an incredible conversation, and the feedback's been great. So I've had Gideon Green at one and two for a long time. I just want your brief no, brief thoughts on on, on the re, on how the rest of the Aussies are going and, and perhaps the impact you think they'll have coming into the playoffs. I've got Joe Ingles at number three at the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Joe would almost slide into number two with his impact and play for Milwaukee. Milwaukee has built themselves a really deep rotation. Um, and as you know, when you go seven-game series, having that bench quality to be able to come in, Joe as a knockdown three-point shooter, as a playmaker off the pick and roll, he adds another dimension to what the Milwaukee Bucks do. Uh, do. And obviously, he's an older head now, like having that veteran experience. So I'd expect Joe to move up to number two. Jock Landale jumped from number six to number four. Uh, Phoenix will have – they'll be right in the mix uh, when we get to the pointy end of the season. Jock's role. I think he just needs to be solid, meat and potato sort of player. There's no thrills about how he's going about his business. Just be solid on both ends of the court. Um, you're afforded the luxury to probably be a lot more open when you play with people like – Devin Booker and uh, Kevin Durant on either either wing from you. Um, so if he can find himself into that rotation come playoffs time, uh, I think you will see that Jock will put up some pretty pretty reasonable numbers. I think his minutes will be dependent on how well he shoots a perimeter shot. They're not going to roll it to him inside when the playoffs roll around. But, well, yeah, but, the, the, but the one part he does struggle with, and there's improvement, and I'm sure he would know this, Defending those big bigs. He's not mm-hmm. quite big enough. He's not quite athletic enough. 
He doesn't protect the rim. He's a really good positional defender. Yep. But he needs to find a way this offseason and to earn minutes, even these playoffs, even for three or four at a time, to be able to not get absolutely crucified by Jokic and by the big bigs who he's going to come across. Um, Matisse Thibel won't play playoffs. Dyson Daniels. I've liked I've liked what Dyson's done, and I think he's to be a rookie and to have that big an impact on the defensive end. Forget his offensive side for a minute. I think he's been really good on the defensive end. He's on another very very good team, and he's earned. I think he's exceeded what the Pelicans thought they were getting in year one. I agree. I agree that he's definitely exceeded what they thought they were getting. And there's a reason that he went up a little bit higher in the draft than what people had originally pegged him at. And I think it is because his ability on the defensive end. um, I get a lot of... uh, I get a lot of Dante Exum type player about him. Good one. I I think it's comparable of the defensive end and uh, he'll get better as his offensive game matures in this system. Um, but I'd expect him, I'd expect him to still pull some minutes come, come playoff time. Does Matthew Delavadova continue to find very, very limited, but minutes for in certain situations when the playoffs roll around? I, I, I think he's one guy whose impact off the game floor on the training floor has been incredible to the Sacramento Kings changing their culture. Um, he came out and he played 17 minutes the other day and had five points and defended like crazy and, you know, absorbed a lot of Darren Fox's minutes when he was out and they got a win. Um, yeah, he's consistently finding three and four minutes a game as we get to the end of the season. Um I had him at number seven. I had him higher than probably what his statistics showed for a long time. I just reckon the impact he's been able to have on his ball club this year has been really, really positive. There's a world where I see that Sacramento being in their first playoffs, De'Aaron being in his first playoffs, there might need to be a bit of a spark and Mike Brown will look down the bench and know that he's got a championship winning point guard in Delhi that will get them into their sets and will play good defense. And so I expect him to play minutes in the playoffs and I expect him to be that that guy in one of the games where he's the catalyst for turning the team's energy around for them to get a win. I agree. Um, Paddy Mills is all the way down at number eight. He just can't find his way under the court. He played one game three weeks ago and had 23 donuts the next game. It's He just can't find his way into the Nets rotation, clearly with their focus on the defensive end. But, I mean, you look through the list we've just gone and some of the questions I've got, yeah, but Paddy's better than Matt, Matty Delavitt. I'm like, yeah, of course he's a better player, but he's not playing. Daly's playing in the group. He's outside. Look, the Nets are going to play in the playoff. I think they'll avoid the play-in perhaps even, which is – surprising, but um, Paddy's not going to find any minutes. Xavier Cooks won't. Well, the Wizards are out. Jack White's out. Ben Simmons is out. So they're the Aussies uh, as we head into uh, the NBA playoffs. Now, our Hoop City, raise your game. 
as I scroll back through. For me, I, I went and I watched the WNBL finals a couple of weeks ago and I actually I'm disappointed we didn't get a chance to probably speak about them in a lot more depth. But firstly, congratulations to the Townsville Fire. They were clearly the better team. They were more level-headed. They were way more consistent. They were way more professional. Um, I saw Steph Reed when I was at Dandenong and she was battling to get onto that WNBL roster. Uh, she was outsized. She wasn't quick enough. She didn't shoot the ball well enough. She has developed into one of the, if not the best pure point guards in Australia, in the WNBL right now. Um, she controls the ball great. She pressures the ball on the defensive end. When she puts the ball on the floor, her head's up and she's she always sees the floor. She finishes well at the rim for her size or gets into space, but she sees her teammates. Having said that, I don't believe she's the best point guard, pure point guard, the best Australian pure point guard playing at the moment. That's Georgia Amor. George is at Virginia Tech. She has shouldered 39 minutes a game for her team as their point guard and carried them to the final four. Her points production, the way she runs the game, her ability to create her own shot, her defensive pressure. Again, I go back and I told a few people about Georgia years ago when she was missing out on state teams that one of the problems that we have here with Victorian basketball is oftentimes we select players to win state championships. So we pick players who understand structure, but who are a little bit robotic, but it's cut and paste. It's cut and paste. You know what you'll get. Georgia was different to that, and I loved her. And I got to see her a bit more because she's friends with my daughter, Izzy. But, you know, it was a couple of years ago. They said, who's... who's who should we keep an eye on when we're bringing people back from college? And we said, Georgia. Everybody in Australian women's basketball knows about Georgia anymore. Now, for me, to get back to the whole point, if I had to pick someone now, Hoop City, raise your game, where we the player I'm nominating, who's absolutely raised their game to another level, Georgia Amor. She's the best female point guard in Australian basketball right now. I don't disagree. She's, she's had an incredible run. Um, that the Australian public know come March Madness, but she's had an incredible run all season. <laughs> she's been absolutely she's been, she has. She's been great. She's been great all season, and yet um, sometimes the extra publicity makes people pay attention more to what an individual is doing. But George has been doing this all season long. She's taken her team to the final four. Hopefully she can take it a couple more steps uh, further to win a championship. Uh, but I don't disagree with anything that you said that while Steph Reed has been incredible and what she had 50 points for Frankston a couple of years back at the NBL one level. Um, and you could always see her progression getting to a point where she was going to be a, 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 a really big contributor for a WNBL team. Uh, George Amore, has the future in our hands. And uh, I couldn't agree more that she deserves this. Well said. Now, we ran two polls. We'll finish up on the two polls we ran on our Instagram page. Oh, sorry, on our Twitter page, uh, at Has Been Hoops. We, uh, 
We asked if people would select for the Australian Boomers team if they had the choice of three fully healthy players. Mitch Creek, Xavier Cooks or Ben Simmons. Before I give you the results, who would you pick out of those three in a vacuum to represent the Australian Boomers and why? Um, first off, I'll point out that we both believe Nick Kay is an absolute lock. So we're saying Nick Kay's in the team, yes. We're saying Nick Kay's in the team. Um, secondly, a healthy Ben Simmons should be there, but he's not healthy uh, physically, and I don't think he's mentally in a good place at the moment. That being so, said, um, I think the way that the Boomers play, that Xavier Cooks would be my pick. And I know there could be bias towards why I'd pick Xavier over Mitch. Um, but if I'm looking at the Boomers team and how they would play, they, they don't need another person to necessarily be a scorer, but a great defender someone who gets out in transition. Like in my mind, I, I think of Matisse Thibel was really good on the defensive end for the Boomers, but what made him really good in my eyes was his ability to get out in transition and, and get cheap points. I see Xavier in the, the same light that he has the motor to get out in transition and make things happen for the Boomers. Um, Mitch Creek, uh, just a little bit undersized for for that position at an international level. Yep. Um, so I, I'd take Xavier Cooks if a healthy Ben Simmons wasn't there. So the first thing I said was if they're healthy. So let's say it's the next Olympic Games. They're healthy, they're fine. And you, as you described the skill set, I agree entirely. And I think Xavier Cooks and Ben Simmons are very similar style of players. Then I'd pick Ben Simmons. There you go. And that was the result. 42% of people picked Ben Simmons. 37 picked Xavier Cooks and 21 picked Mitch Creek. Now, the other one we ran, and it's been a topic for a long time, the Boston Celtics, who for what it's worth, I don't think can win the NBA championship this year. If one of the players had to go, well, probably more the point, I think the, the exact question we asked was if you were starting a franchise, and you could take Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, who would you pick and why? I haven't seen the results of this poll, but I'm just going to go off how I feel, and I'd pick Jalen Brown. Why? I feel like Jason Tatum, uh, come playoff times, has shrunk. In the moment, um, I feel like Jalen Brown has a better overall skill set on both sides of the floor. Um, I, I like Brown's defense over Tatum's. I like that Brown makes offense work through structure, not off individual brilliance all the time. Um, whereas I think Jason Tatum is very that individual ISO one-on-one step back three ball. Like if if we got enough attempts at it, like I'm pretty sure I could be 
deemed pretty good in an ISO as well if I was allowed to shoot that many shots and had that sort of confidence. Um, he's always lived in the, the shadow of Jason Tatum, but there was always something that I preferred about Jalen Brown's game at the end of the day. So I, I would pick Brown. I, I agree. And I think and I, we've both coached. What you want is you want to know exactly what you're going to get every game. I've got no idea what Jason Tatum I'm going to get. Now, Jason Tatum has had a number of games where you look at him and say, yep, you are one of the best players in the league, but he's so inefficient with what he does. Um, his statistics look great. And like you say, I, as the Celtics roll into the playoffs, I, I think they're going to get a very, very consistent, even performance from Jalen Brown. And given, if he was given that same role that Tatum had, and the ability to handle the ball and have it in his hands that many times, I think he'd find maybe an even more productive play. So, look, I, I'm this, with you. I, I go Jalen Brown as well. I'll just say this, though, and I'll, and I'll play devil's advocate for one second. Sure. It's really uh, – it's a bit easier when you get the second-best defender. Sure it is, of course. But you know what? Yeah, but with all of the switching now, you've only got them for a pass. Mm. you you still got to attack who you're going to attack. Um, it would be really interesting to see Jalen Brown as the number one guy. But we've seen Tatum out a little bit and the Celtics have been okay. But tell you what, we're in the minority. 70% of people who answered picked uh, Jason Tatum, just 30 uh, agreed with us and picked uh, Jalen Brown. But anyway, mate, uh, I'm going to let you go because as we record this, it's Friday lunchtime, my time. Uh, not sure when this will go up, but you're playing your very first game of NBL 1 tonight. Mate, have fun. Good luck. I can't wait to hear about it on our next episode. Can't wait for the ice bath. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) 